Corinthians chapter 4. Well, I'll speak today on who evaluates the pastor, how the pastor should be evaluated. I will often refer to the elders or pastor as myself, but this all applies uh, for the most part with Jeff as well, obviously. He's not here today, but um, we're both elders, so all this would apply equally to us. There are, in fact, Jeff, we were talking about this the other day, he understands there's a little difference in that if you guys reject me as your elder, I lose my livelihood. Obviously, the Lord takes care of me always has. Jeff understands that if he gets rejected as elder, eh, that's nothing. His livelihood isn't affected. So there's a difference in that. And, we'll, and, that, and the reason that would matter to some degree is because it puts pressure on the pastors who are, who are supported by the church to make sure they're faithful to the Lord regardless of whether they keep their position or not. Regardless of whether I get fired or not, I've got a responsibility to the Lord, so I'll be bringing that out. But whether I refer to myself or not, I'm, I, you, we can include Jeff, of course, in everything that I am going to say today. But last week, as we finished chapter 3, <clears throat> Paul reminded us that there is a purpose for this letter, and that primarily, at least in the uh, context of chapter 3, they were to examine themselves, and if they fi- we find ourselves wanting we are to repent and start doing the right thing, of course. And in this case, uh, in, in this letter, if we are taking our cues from the world's philosophy, the world's wisdom, and not the wisdom that comes from the Bible, then we must be honest about it and change. In other words, the part of the problem with Corinthians is they were listening to the eloquent speakers. They were all caught up in eloquence and worldly wisdom and it was affecting the way they were listening to uh, their pastors and uh, the word of God and that it was taking the place in some cases of, of the word of God so that was one of the things that Paul is dealing with we also saw that a key Christian doctrine is that everything we need is secured for us in Christ if you have Christ you have everything you need in this sense, we are like Adam and Eve in paradise, where everything they needed to be fulfilled was theirs. You say, well, I heart this world as paradise and all my needs being met. Well, the problem is, is that physical pleasures and material wealth and fame are not needs. So we don't want to sin as Adam and Eve did who listened to Satan says, what was Satan's big life? You live in paradise, but God's been told us to do. They believe And that's what the world's telling us to do. Well, it's okay to be, but, you know, I'm not. It's okay to be religious, but you don't want to be a fanatic. And by that, you know, basically, well, you don't want to affect the way you live. I mean, that's the thing do, right? But we don't need this world to be happy. We need Christ. We have everything to serve the Lord to be fulfilled. And, and, and that's all we're putting around this. And find fulfillment, joy, satisfaction. But it's Christ, not in creating things. Those are some of the things we dealt with last week. <clears throat> so as we come to uh, the uh, position of the church and some of these matters, 
2,000 years after the fact that this elders are still evaluated many times by unbiblical standards, which will always lead to dissatisfaction, divisions, stunted growth for both church and members. There are even some magazines out there, at least there have been in the past, that they will chart uh, membership sizes of churches, attendance, sides of the staff, the academics of the pastor, books written by the pastor, conference appearances, all to evaluate whether this guy's really doing his job or not. Paul will have to deal with this problem personally in Second Corinthians. If you can imagine that Paul is going to actually be criticized for his ministry because he's not an eloquent, well-accomplished speaker. Not, and, and so he, he suffers for that. But here he speaks to how leaders should be evaluated as he talks about especially how him Apollos should be evaluated by the church. Now let me say from the outset that all elders like everybody else must be held accountable. It's not, whatever we read here it's not, does not mean that you have you can never evaluate what I'm doing or what I'm doing but I'm the elder. You know, it, it's okay to evaluate me some degree. That's part of it. Um, so this sermon is not going to be me telling you that you're to be content with me regardless of how I conduct myself or anything else. You know, I'm not above criticism. But Paul does give us some guidelines that must be followed if we're going to have a healthy church. We will see here a minister's identity is the requirement and how he's to be evaluated. We'll see more things than that, but those three things in particular. And the reason is because some of the members are comparing preachers to the detriment of the church. Paul, Paul Peter, and some of these apostles, the other these pseudo-apostles, they're comparing them. They say, well, we need to be following this man. He does a better job than that guy. And, and it's just all causing division. They aren't concerned with biblical content. Um, as much as with the style of preaching and worldly wisdom. Alright, so, first of all, an elder's identity. We notice here, starting in chapter 3, uh, that Paul is going to employ three Greek terms that will help us understand what a pastor is. So the first thing he wants to make clear is that elders are his servants. You see this, of course, in verse 1 of chapter 4, where he uses the second and third words uh, that we'll look at in just a moment. And certainly, uh, he makes it clear that the elders are the Lord's servants doing the Lord's work, and that elders answer to the Lord before they answer to the church. And while the church is to financially support those who minister the word, unlike in the normal way of doing things, my first concern is not your will, but God's will. It's a little... You know, when you're employed out there, whoever's writing the check is your boss, right? And then rightly so. In the church, it's a little different. While you have the authority, if it's biblical, if it's biblical, to remove them, you do not have the authority to tell me what I will say uh, and, 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 and that. I answer to the Lord. I've got to say what I believe Bible teaches. That's how I must be evaluated. 
And so in that sense, you are not my boss. And there's no telling how many people have left the church because they could not control the pastor. He would not coddle them. It's something they want to be coddled in. Such a person has no real idea why I am here and what the church is all about. And we'll deal a little bit with that today. And so in chapter 3, verse 5, the first word that we already dealt with is uh, the term, just the regular term servant, which is where we get uh, deacon. I, I don't usually put up the Greek terms here, but I thought it was a little interesting here today. You see where diakonos, that's where we get the term deacon, which just means a servant, a servant. So while it also sometimes means a position in the church, as you know, George and uh, Rick are elders, they're Jeff and I are also servants of the church. In, in one sense, we're all servants to some degree, but we are here to minister. The word minister means you are serving somebody, right? And so, uh, it's, it's a common term, servant. Then the second term in chapter 4, verse 1, is the repetite, or um, supertite. Um, I'll make sure I get that halfway right. Um, which means underroller, or a slave who is in the, the galley of a ship, which is an interesting term, because this is also, reminds me that I am a servant, a slave, if you will. Um, but we're, in one sense, we're all underrollers, we're all in this together. I, but it reminds me, I'm above you. I, I'm the pastor, I'm an elder, but we're all servants. But, but for Paul to call himself that, as well as elders, it keeps us in our place. In other words, we're reminded that I am a servant of the Lord. I'm here to serve you, and, I'm, and, and He's the master. Sometimes, again, it's easy to get those things out of whack. <clears throat> um, so, hooper in the Greek means under. Like if you have um, hypertension, over, right? So, you, your attention is your Oh, a higher than it should be. You have um, a hyperdim, uh, hyperdermic needle. That comes from this word, um, which has some, you know, um, what's the word I want? Uh, the, the condition of uh, just under the skin. some measure of authority to make sure that the master's uh, work is being done with the other slaves. So we use sometimes the term under shepherd. There's only one shepherd, but uh, elders would be under shepherds that help uh, in the, the oversee the church. And these are the three terms that Paul uses here. And this is a slave in, in relationship to his master. For instance, over in Luke 12, uh, 42, the Lord said, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? You know, the ESV translates it to understand. This isn't just a 
a slave or a servant, but it's one who's managing others, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. One reason I like that verse is because as we're going to see in a moment, when it looks at what is my chief job as a servant, it is to serve you food, right? In uh, Matthew 28, and when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, see the same idea there, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last of the first. So, these are used now uh, in the scripture, and that's what Paul is referring to himself as, and, and all elders. So then, with that in mind, how does that work out? How do you regard it? How do I regard myself in the local church? Well, as an underroller, as a galley slave, I'm doing my part equally with you. As I said, we're all kind of all doing the Lord's work. We're, we're, we're rowing the ship, if you will. But a slave of Christ, I, I see myself as a slave of Christ who owes everything to him and who, who should be concerned with pleasing him and exalting him and leading others to him. The sense in which we all can relate to that. But I'm no different. Now, does this mean that I don't serve or minister to you as well? Well, of course I do. I've used, I think I've used with you guys the uh, illustration uh, that uh, of a waitress, which to me is a great illustration of what a elder uh, pastor is in a church. And he teaches when he go to a restaurant is one who waits on you. And how does she do that? Well, she's serving you. So a lot of times they say, I'm going to be here today, tonight, but you can go out and eat. And she serves the person. So let's say for a moment, you guys are the customers. I'm here as a servant who's... But what if she's customer? She serves the food. That's how she serves, by giving them food. She does the entertainment. She doesn't give them a rollate if they don't like the food. She no, she's there to give you food. That's the primary duty. And she's also, thirdly, serving the boss, because ultimately that restaurant's his. So she's doing her boss's bidding as she serves you. And so that's a good way to think of the pastor. I'm here. Christ is the boss. He's the head, not 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 you. You don't decide, and the food is, that's where the illustration breaks down a little bit. You don't decide. The party decided this is the menu, and, and I'm supposed to preach the whole council. So I'm serving you the food, and I'm in doing so, I'm serving the Lord as I do it. I'll see an example of this in Acts chapter 6. Now in these days the disciples were increased in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, that is the Jews who were more uh, cultural, they lived more like the Greeks. The Hebrews would be those who lived in the strict accordance to the law, and if God was keeping you know, there was cultural conflict. And as we like to do, we separate ourselves into collectively. They're, they, they live that way, and we live this way, so, you know, division. And so the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the twelve, some of the full number of the disciples said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. So the, we're learning here, well, the pastor's job is not to serve you food, not to take care of your physical needs. My job is to serve food, Bible, God's Word. Therefore, verse 
three, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. So the deacons in the church minister to the physical needs of the church. The elders minister the word. That they oversee, among other things, but that's their primary duty. Now, this church had several thousand members. I don't. But the point is that they were to be the word first and foremost. They weren't to allow themselves to be sidetracked, even for legitimate things. The word, as a pastor, I never forget that. It's also important to see myself as a galley slave, though, as well, as he talks about here. It helps me remember that uh, you're not here to serve me. I'm just a slave. It's useless for a slave to say that he's more important than the guy sitting next to him rowing the same boat because we're all in it together. Slave is a slave. He serves the master. There's only one redeemer. There's only one savior. There's only one creator. And there's only one God who knows everything. Who's revealed himself in the word of God. There's no other wisdom out there. Right? We've been seeing in First Corinthians. So I can't serve you rightly if I'm not following the master's order, and if somehow you think you are here to serve, if I now think you to serve, you see, I've got it completely out of whack. I'm here to serve the Lord and to serve you, but I, I serve you by serving Christ. I don't serve you by doing whatever you tell me to do. As far as it comes to the preaching of God's word, right? Sometimes it's hard for us to get our minds around. Lead you by teaching you God's word. So I lead by serving or ministry. And yet we know that leading involves more than just teaching, but guarding the flock and do oversight them. There are other duties for an elder, but we're specifically dealing with the uh, idea of preaching. So the next identity is stewardship, the caretaker. And God has told us to take care of the church but we are not free to do it any old way we want to. He's the master. He tells the steward how to do it. And so that's how I, Jeff and I try to lead the church. We are concerned with the practice, which is to explain the mysteries of God, as Paul brings out there in verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. I'm here to explain to you that which was mostly hidden in the Old Testament, but has been revealed now and fulfilled in Christ, I am here to explain for God to you, and, and do so hopefully in a practical way. So I'm only useful to the Lord and only useful to you if I keep those two things before me. I am Christ's servant, and my main uh, purpose is to serve you, Christ, through the Word. And that will go a long way with you being content to see. Because if you're expecting something else, if you're expecting great oration, uh, great administration, uh, uh, results necessarily from the preaching, I might not be able to bring that about. But if you want to hear what God has to say through his word, then that's what I'm here to do to the best of my ability. So I'm not here to be your political leader. I'm not here to be your social leader. Certainly not here to entertain you. That would be disappointing at best. 
but I'm here to explain the Word of God. Um, see here, a verse in Acts with Paul speaking to the Ephesians and getting ready to leave them. How he says, basically, I know you know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance for God of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so I take that as my cue. I want to, when the end of my ministry, to be, to be uh, able to say with Paul that, that, that no matter the good and the bad that I did, the mistakes I made, at least I, to the best of my ability, preach the whole counsel of God, because that's the first and foremost duty that given. And this is important too, too, because our children need this as well. Our, don't sell your children short to think that they can't sit in the services. And I'm talking about obviously you got to get to a certain age, uh, you know, and that might vary. I was re- uh, just not too long ago, I heard a Calvin entered seminary, what we would consider seminary, that was important. Now, Calvin was gifted. You know, if you read it, you know, you know he's an ordinary man. But, that was not all because kids were not coddled into their, well into their teens to be kids. They were taught to be serious. They were taught to become adults. Don't sell your children short. They, they're not stupid. They, they might try to come across that way. I don't understand that. I, that's boring. Teach them to learn. Teach them to think. Because this is how God teaches us through His Word. If you can't read, if you can't comprehend what you read, you're going to have trouble. But don't, I just say that in passing. Don't sell your children short. They're smarter than they maybe try to come across sometimes. They can understand these things. So, are you justified to see me as your serpent, as your minister, as your wasted, if you will? Yes. But, you are not justified to see yourself as my boss. Can you get rid of it? Yes. It's a serious thing. If, if, if I'm not doing this, this is how you have, you have to be able to evaluate me properly, right? But if, you know, I have to be removed, I have to be removed. But, but understand who I'm serving first, and that is the Lord. Because as soon as I start living for you, as soon as I start thinking about the paycheck, I've sixth degree being uh, helpful to you. I will start to harm you. Because now, I'm doing what I have to do to keep my job. And that's where it breaks down. Uh, you know, I'm not the same thing as Jeff that He understands that difference in our position only in that sense. We have obviously equal authority though in the church. Secondly then, the elder's requirement. Now we're not speaking here of qualifications as we find in First uh, and Timothy where deals with the qualifications of an elder. This is a requirement that he speaks or that he speaks of right here in verse two, where he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy and faithful to what they are doing, to their job. So 
you do judge those as to whether an elder should even have the position by his qualifications. In other words, Timothy and Titus are, uh, I, I have to live up to these before I can even be considered as a pastor. But here the point is, now that I have a pastor, what requirements are you to hold him to upon the qualification? And it's not just that I am not to be deceitful or trustworthy but I'm to, uh, or faithful, but am I doing what I've been called to do? That, that's what he's talking about here. Is he does it see himself as a slave who is to serve you the word of God? That's the main thing I think he's referring to. In other words, if I am faithfully teaching the word, then I have a job, and you've got to be careful about taking me beyond that. You've got to be careful about, are the sermons exciting enough? Are they practical enough? I, I, I remember one girl in New York, uh, well, you don't, don't, you don't spend enough time uh, applying the method. Now, she wanted me to just spend a with the end talking about every way to apply what we talked about. It is, I think I do. But I remember, I think it was John Piper saying once of the preach, and he said, look, it's not my job to apply the method. That's the Holy Spirit. I teach you first, and then you should be meditating through those things and thinking how does this apply in my life? And it, it, it can be helpful for the pastor to point out some things, but I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know what you need, so the Holy Spirit does. So be careful of thinking that it's my job to apply the Word of God to your situation. You should be thinking through those things as well. And I, I kind of much appreciated that, but it's not that I don't do those things. Let's turn over to First Timothy, chapter four. This is Paul speaking to Timothy in particular, who is an elder of the church. And notice here the advice he gives him. Let's start in uh, verse six. We'll read to the end of the chapter. First Timothy, chapter four. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So there you go. The, the things that that's reported in scripture for us here. If you put, if you teach these things, you're doing a good job. That's what you're here for. Being trained in the faith of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irrelevant, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, trainers, while bodily training is of some value, godliness value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life of God. So the word of God has more value and is more important in our lives than physical training, healthy eating. I mean, some people, I'm not against healthy eating. Some people, it, it becomes a religious thing. And it's not unimportant. It, it's, it's a good thing to exercise, to be in shape. Right? Uh, but, it, it, so many times at the expense of being a uh, in the Word of God. I know people who put hours and hours and hours in a hobby or in whatever they're doing, but they they don't want to study and become a good Christian to be a knowledgeable in the Word of God. But one has eternal consequences, the others uh, end when you die. That's what Paul's saying here. Keep your priorities right. 
This is a, verse 9. This saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior by to believe, command and teach these things. But now, especially to how the pastor relates to his people. Let no one despise you for your youth. So in Timothy's case, he was younger. Some of the people did not take him seriously. Well, you're, you're too young. Don't let anybody... In other words, you're preaching the word of God. You've got nothing to do with it. You know, Don't let them somehow excuse themselves because they're confused. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which is given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. This is all about the word of God, teaching the word of God. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So don't let someone despise you or to, to get you sidetracked from that. Some have said that Timothy was frail and timid and young based on the way Paul uh, letters to Timothy. But Paul says, don't let anyone judge you anything other than your faithfulness to teach. Not even how well you lead. Notice the only thing he, he, he mentions in all that was his relationship to the word and teaching the word. And it's easy to lead too strongly. It's easy to not be a leader at all. And you, you've always, I've got to always get it from both sides. Some people don't want you to be a strong leader. Some people don't want you to uh, want you to be a you know leader. Tell them every little move to make. You can't win sometimes, but it, it's always part of a, a, a pastor's job to try to find that middle road of being a good leader, but not trying to unfortunately you know, get everybody business, or to not lead at all and not not ever correct or, or never do anything. And you can go both ways. Believe me, I've seen it. Alright, so this is all well and good, but my leadership skills are not what makes me a faithful minister. Remember, holding uh, pastors to unbiblical standards is the whole problem here. In Matthew 24, 45, it says, It is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. I like that. Again, we talked about this already. If I'm being faithful, I give you your food at the proper time. And I think that has something to do with, in other words, I, I, I apply it in a, a proper relationship to what's going on in your life or in the world or whatever. I, I make it practical. So to teach it and try it as the situation comes up. I used to have a, a man in, in my first church who would uh, kind of kid me every once in a while when I would go to make application, and he would say, Pastor, you've gone from preaching to meddling. Well, I think he was you know, joking, more or less, but, you know, because, in other words, it's, some people like to hear the gospel, like to hear preaching, but they don't want me to perhaps point out areas where we're not doing so well, and it makes it how we maybe need to do better. And so he, he would kind of joke that way, but I, sometimes a pastor has to do that. Um, notice here, again, in Second Timothy, uh, 
4, 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of living in the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, which is very similar to what the words here in our text, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. In other words, be ready to do it whether they want to hear it, or whether they badly hear it, you've got to be faithful to do it regardless. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. That's what we've been talking about. They don't want to hear the truth. Do we not see that out there today? You've got pastors who 10, 15 years ago would have been as, I would have assumed to be as solid as they could be, but all of a sudden, since we all heard an example of this, like one, their child all of a sudden comes out to declare themselves to be homosexual, and now all of a sudden, uh, the preacher, well, homosexual is okay, because after all, my child is born. No. It, it, the word of God is true, and you preach it, whether it's accepted, whether it's popular, it doesn't matter. The word of God is eternal. And if you don't, you're not a faithful preacher. You're no longer called God if you ever were. That's the requirement. Be faithful to what you've been called to do. Preach the whole counsel of God. Thirdly, in verse 3, self-evaluation. How do I evaluate myself? For he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Find that again. This care with what you think about him. He's saying that that's secondary to what God, who I'm going to stand before someday, uh, thinks. So as far as you evaluating me, I, as a covered, I have to be faithful to my calling. What we in verses three through five then is how I must evaluate myself for the good of the church. If you understand to see myself and my ministry, then it's going to help you go a long way in evaluating me properly. In other words, what you should be first of all concerned is: Do I stand up here and preach what I believe to be the truth, or if I stand up here saying what I think you want to hear, the itching ears? If that's the case, you need to get rid of me. And if you can't get rid of me, you need to go somewhere else. Because you've got to find someone who's preaching what God would have to do. So he's not saying he doesn't care what people think of him. No pastor worth his salt is insensitive to what people think of him. A word of appreciation after a sermon is an encouragement. A word of helpful criticism can be a blessing. So that those things matter, you know. I'm human, right? Um, but those things are secondary to what I believe God's evaluation of me. And so Paul's point is how I view my ministry. I want to view it as he views his. Is my conscience clear that I have taught you what I truly believe truth? Is it clear that when I have counseled you about something privately, that I have told you what I truly believe from God's word? If so, then in one sense, it doesn't matter at all how you think about it. Now, again, it, it's not that it doesn't matter. But in one sense, it all matters is that I passed on to you God's word. So I'm not unconcerned if someone has a problem with me for some reason. I know that I'm not perfect. My understanding of the Bible is not perfect. And so those things are always there. And I know, and would argue with you, but I... I, I, I know that I never really did anybody. But in the, in the occasion I did, you know, I know those things happen, right? 
these, these things, I have to understand, I, we have to evaluate ourselves properly. So, um, Paul, uh, I can say with Paul that while with all my imperfections, as far as me standing here ministering the word of God to you, my conscience is clear that I have never said something that I did not really believe because I was worried about how you were going to take it. And that's one thing I can say. With all my imperfections, I, 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 to the best of my ability, do not compromise the word of God. So like Paul, it is a small thing in that sense how you take it. It might result in big problems. You know, you might get rid of me or whatever, but that's the Lord's problem. And I know that this be a profitable pastor, again, with all my imperfections, because at least I know I'm, I'm feeding you healthy food. See, a, a, a parent who will let the child decide what they're going to eat is not being a particularly good parent. Because they're setting their kid up for problems. So if I don't say, well, the word of God is love, there's some people who have left the church and they say, hey, you're, you're preaching too deep. Well, okay, fine. Don't if you want to go find another place that gives you the sugar, fine. I, I can't, you know, you've got to do that. But I've got to be faithful to the Lord. You know, and I think that's, in other words, and if I don't do that, I'm dangerous to you. But if I do do that, I'm your best friend. Say, well, my wife, my best friend. Well, yeah, I want to. Whoever tells you the truth is your best friend, right? You have friends who only tell you what they think you want to hear, no matter what maybe you're messing up your life. They might be a people you get along with, but they're not helping you. Like the woman who says when she leaves the church, I want to feel good about myself at the end of the message. No, you want to feel good about your Savior. You want to, you want, and in you dwells no good thing. You don't need to feel good about yourself. You need to feel good about who you are in Christ. Your safety in my ministry will always be that I hold myself accountable to the Lord because He's my judge, not you. And that's what Paul, Paul is saying there, verses 3 through 5. Yeah, as a pastor, I would love for everybody to hang on every word when I'm preaching. I'm not so stupid to think that happens. The sense of which I want you at least to enjoy the forward to going to the services to hear from God. Not from me, but from God. But on the other hand, I have to be indifferent. Because whether you do or not, it's not going to change what I think. Like Paul, that can sound harsh in one sense. But it's uh, because in one sense it's not true. I am concerned how you guys think about me and so forth. But as far as whether I'm going to change something because your agreement has no bearing at all on what I preach. And that's what I think Paul is saying. So in that sense, I'm your best friend. Because I will tell you what I believe you need to hear is whatever I need to my God. But, but you got to pray for me because I struggle not just with, you know, I mean, I, 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 I think about well, how is this going to be received and all that kind of stuff. But my my struggle, I think, is not so much. I think my conscience is clear that I have never not said the truth, or that I have never changed the truth, right? But my biggest problem is 
sometimes not saying what I know should be said, because that's pretty easy. I I I should say something in God's word, perhaps someone is correct or whatever, and I I don't. And that's that's the sin of omission, just like submission. And and I know, like any you know human being, I have no doubt kept silent when I should. So I would say that's certainly something you want to make sure raise the need about. Number four, who's the who's my ultimate judge? Well, I think Paul is saying obviously that it's the Lord, and that we have to be careful of hasty and rash judgment. Because you can't, you know, my motivation. I got to be careful of thinking that I know your heart and I'll have everybody figured out, because all that does is just bring about uh, division because we're not patient with each other. So I think here in verse four it says. Uh, for I am not a sin against myself, but I am not acquitted. It is the Lord who me. He, he's saying that the Lord knows my heart. You don't. And it's your heart and I don't. So we have to be careful here about judging because, uh, uh, on outward things. Our first concern is what God thinks about us. Before, as long as I believe that somebody loves the Lord, I can live with them doing things that I'm not particularly happy about or with Because I know that at the end of the day, the Lord's going to take care of me. It's the one who really shows no concern for the Lord, little concern for the church, that I worry about, for sure. So let me kind of close with an example of what happens when we assume that we act out. And this is, this is so prevalent today, where as soon as you People hear something on the news, they immediately condemn and write people off, and they don't take the time to let's look away, let's examine the facts, let's see why this happened. You have none of that. You have all that. just reacts emotionally. No one is taught to think things through. And if that, when that gets into the church, it becomes devastating. In the 13th century, in Wells, there was a man called Wellen. Who had a palace uh, called Beth Lurk. The Lurk was the name of his faithful hunting dog. And one day uh, he went out hunting, and Lurk was not with him. And uh, when he got home, he uh, Lurk means faithful hound. But anyway, he, he was he wasn't couldn't find him when he went to go hunting. So you know he went off hunting. But he gets back. Uh, the dog runs for just happy to be back, and he's covered with blood. It looks a mess. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the guy was kind of alarmed, and he thought, you know, he thought about his son, uh, where his son is, what's going on, why is there blood here? And he goes to his son, and he sees blood all over the floor, he sees his son's garment there, uh, the covers, whatever, and he jumps in his loop. Alert and kill his son. And he drives a spear to that dog kills him. And then the dog, you know, this dying yelp, he hears the son somewhere. And he goes and he finds his son there, perfectly good state, in a big dead wolf there that his dog had killed to save his son. And I thought, well, you know, 
hasty judgment. Quick to forget that we're all sinners saved by grace. That we all are imperfect. That we're to be a but we can we have to be patient with each other. Keep us from false judgment which would be I think one vision away from us. And so we often lash out to each other, just like that father did the dog. And we ruin relationships with the church. And that's what's happening for Corinth. They, they've got, they're, they're not centered on Christ anymore. And they, their worldly wisdom, they, their church eclipsed. And we'll get into that by the time we get to chapter 11 for sure. And that's one of our biggest sins today. And so verse 5 reminds us that even if someone gets away with something in his life, God will take care of it. You don't have to worry. If, you know, somebody got by with something, somebody hurt me, and I can't, I don't want to be around him, give it to the Lord. The Lord's the message. Nobody gets away with anything. And sometimes, this be good theology it can save us a lot of heartache, I think. Let's be patient with one another. Let's live by faith. But let's, at the end of the day, remember what my God is. And your job to hear these words of God. You know, it, again, it's not just food, you're food. Uh, to ask the 